Welcome to Swartz Talking Sports. I'm your host, Les Swartz. Thanks, everyone, for joining us again. Uh, scheduling change uh, on tonight's show. We were scheduled to have Charles Barkley on tonight, believe it or not, but uh, due to some conflicts on his side, he was not able to make tonight's show. We are in touch with Charles, and we hope to have something in February. But we've got a pinch hitter, and we had a great show last week with former WBZ Channel 4 sportscaster Bob Lobel. We were going to do a part two. I thought, let's bring Bob right back on Wednesday for part two, Unfinished Business. A lot going on in the world of sports, especially in New England, concerning the New England Patriots and their recent parting of ways with Bill Belichick. So, Bob is the co-host of Unanchored Boston Sports with Mike Lynch, can be heard weekly. I checked out his podcast yesterday with Mike Reese. Excellent show, a lot of information. So, with that, let's bring on... Bob Lobel for part two, Unfinished Business. Hey, Bob. Les, thanks for having me back. Charles Barkley, well, this, is, this is heavy stuff, man. You're Come pinch hitting, man. You've, you've got some large shoes to fill here. No kidding. I, well, he's on CNN tonight. That's why, if you want to know where he's at, I know he's doing a CNN show tonight, so... Yeah, and evidently he wants to hang out with Gail King more than me, but that's that's okay. Well, that's you know, that's hard to, you know... That's all right. I'm I okay. Believe with that. It. You know, but the reality was filling in for him is I'm flattered. I guess just happy to be here. Happy to be asked. Well, so much has gone on, Bob, since last Wednesday's show. I think Robert Kraft might have been listening as you basically said, you know what, or get off the pot and make a move. And they did. The very next day, they parted ways with uh, Coach Bill Belichick after, what, 24 years with the New England Patriots? Yeah, 23, 24, 20. you know, who's counting? But it's just, right, after Kraft's biggest, he said, I've only had three coaches in my career, you know, Parcells. Of course, he didn't hire Parcells. Right. Orthwine hired Parcells. And he hired Pete Carroll and Belichick, and now Gerard Mayo. It all kind of dropped, right, the next day. It all it, it all kind of hit the fan. And... uh it's pretty unbelievable to tell you the truth, because not only and I this is leads me to believe, and I know the whole Mayo thing, every this has been reported has been set up for a couple of years now, yeah. apparently, in the chain of succession. Uh, but the fact that one guy is out and the next guy is in the next day. Leads me to believe, as we talked, I think, on the show about crisis management, mm -hmm. but there's a, somebody behind the scenes says you got to get to get rid of the old story. You got to bring in the new story, and the new story is Mayo. The old story is Belichick. So to get people to stop talking about Belichick, they got to bring in somebody new, and that was Mayo, and that's exactly what happened. Belichick, sure, he's a factor of interest right now, but he's not the story. It's Gerard Mayo who stepped to the podium today. Now, it, it looked like an amicable split based on the press conference they had last week, but you and I both know that's probably not the case. I think probably not the case. I, I agree with you, and we talked earlier in our production meeting that I think it was really Bob Kraft that forced Bill Belichick's hand and got him out of New England. No question about it. I, and I think it's this is a decision, not only Bob Kraft, but Jonathan, who, by the way, was not there today. This okay. is another thing. He wasn't there Last week, when they cut ties with Belichick, Jonathan is the oldest son, heir apparent. You know, he's about to become the new owner of the mm -hmm. Patriots. 
I don't know if Robert's going to wait till he passes on or if he's going to, you know, give do it sooner or later, but he's going to protect him in, in a way that, you know, Jonathan didn't have to deal with Belichick, but he was absent, conspicuously absent last week. Today, he was more conspicuously absent. Yeah, that surprised me. Yeah. Well, he was asked about it in the press conference. Robert Kraft was asked about it, and he said, incredibly, actually, he said that, you know, we have a number of businesses in our operation, in our family operation, and we had a situation in one of those businesses that Jonathan had to deal with and therefore isn't here today because we had some something. He intimated there was something serious going on in one of the other businesses, whether it was Craft mayo or craft horseradish or craft horse shit, whatever. I'm not sure what. Or the paper company. Or the paper company. I'm just saying, not there, conspicuously absent. Yeah. And who was not conspicuously absent was Mac Jones, the uh, the quarterback who, you know, if you listen to everybody, everybody on the team is responsible for everything that's gone wrong in the world. But can you put, you know, and I understand that. And I look, you look at his numbers and he had a, he had a very good rookie year, led the team to the playoffs, his rookie year. And then obviously a massive downslide from then, you know, they they brought Bill O'Brien back and they said, you know, he'd build him back up again. He'd be the quarterback. He was his rookie year. That did not work. Uh, You know, he was benched in favor of Bailey Zappi. I think he was the third string quarterback at one time. I mean, it didn't work. It was the last game of the season. Last game of the season. The Jets, he was the third string quarterback. But now that Gerard Mayo was there and obviously – I think a lot has been made that Mayo's been there through the good times with the Patriots and the bad times. He's seen the best of Bill Belichick and maybe the worst of Bill Belichick. And it seems to me, based on his press conference today, that he's the anti-Bill Belichick when it comes to, you know, letting the media know what's going on, talking to his players. Uh, I just think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for the players. And maybe that gives Mac Jones a chance to maybe revitalize his career if it can possibly be in New England. Possible. I I think that's possible. I think Mac has relationship with Gerard Mayo, who is, let's face it, the guy that Mayo is replacing, a.k.a. B.B., Bill Belichick, was there anybody else in the National Football League or any other sports organization that handled press conferences in such a way that you almost had to watch. It was must-watch television to see what a jerky was going to be. No question. There's a reason they had a fifth quarter, and that was to see how bad he was going to be. And now the fifth quarter has been greatly demoted because there's no there's no Belichick on the fifth quarter. Who's going to watch Gerard Mayo give honest answers to to questions? I mean, I, that's going to be a huge a huge public relations difference. But I want to say one more thing, and, yeah. then, and then I'll shut up. Yeah. Uh, you and I and if Benny can jump in and anything, sir, any franchise owner, is there any franchise that is more owner centric than the New England Patriots? No. Now you can say, okay, Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe Jerry Jones is there, but I'm talking about owner centric as, as the Patriots, and I'm just. And I'm convinced of it. Of the last two weeks, that 
talk about reclaiming his team. They even admitted they know they lost their team after the third Super Bowl. They lost their team to Belichick. Yeah. Belichick became everything. Well, he's you know, everything he, that encompasses the Patriots. I mean, in their Super Bowl run, it's all about Bill Belichick. He bought, you know, he got to pay the salaries, he picked the players, blah blah blah. The, the Crafts lost the team to Belichick, and they didn't have the wherewithal to fire him. How could you fire him in a run like they had? Right. They had to come upon disastrous times to even think about doing something like this. Well, you have the pulse up there in New England, Bob, and you're doing the weekly podcast, you know, Unanchored Boston Sports, which is a great podcast, by the way. Um, well, you're kind. A question is that what will the Belichick kids do? So you've got Steve Belichick, who, you know, very close with Gerard Mayo. It's, it's well documented. And you've got Brian, yeah. who is the safety's coach. An inside source, my inside source in New England, says that Steve Belichick will stay on because of that relationship and be the defensive coordinator of the Pats moving forward under Gerard Mayo, and Brian will go with wherever Bill ends up and eventually move his way up to a defensive coordinator position. I'm thinking it's the Atlanta Falcons. That's just unless something opens up in Dallas or Philadelphia that we don't know about, I think it's definitely going to be Atlanta. And I wonder about options, you know, what L.A. doesn't look like an option. Vrabel, I thought, would have been perfect for Dallas, but doesn't look, who knows? Maybe by this time tomorrow, the world will come to an end. Dallas will make a decision. The Philadelphia will make a decision. and uh, It's hard to tell what's what's going to happen now, but considering everything that's available, getting back to the kids, you know, you're right. I think you're right. I think Steve Belichick's going to stay. At least he's welcome to stay. That's mm-hmm. been the message conveyed whether he decides to stay with Mayo. And they've had, a, according to all sources, a really good relationship, which is something you're happy to see. Uh, as far as the other kid goes, Brian, right. I, I think he maybe is a little more flexible and, you know, family-wise and probably sees the writing on the wall, whatever. So Now I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. And we didn't discuss this. I wanted to get your, your real take on this thing real time. So – you know, we obviously thank Bill Belichick and the and the Boston fans do for a great run. I mean, it's it's arguably the greatest run in the history of the NFL for that long long period of time. You know, six Super Bowl championships, nine Super Bowl appearances. I mean, it's unparalleled in modern day football since the free agency you know era has come in. But the one game that I'm going to scrutinize, and I talk with my friends about it, I talk with other people about it, is Super Bowl Fifty Two against Philadelphia, a game where the Patriots didn't even punt once. Brady had statistically his best Super Bowl ever. We threw over 500 yards, three touchdowns. Malcolm Butler, the mystery of Malcolm Butler. You being on the inside and on the know in Boston, we had some rumors back and forth. Why in the world would you suit up a player? He plays the opening kickoff, but does not get off the bench or the sideline when you're not stopping the other team at all. They made Nick Foles look like Johnny Unitas times three in that game. And his answer is, we put the best players out there that gave us the best chance of winning. Clearly, that's not true. Clearly, that's not true. Um, What was your take on that, Bob? I mean, was it a personal thing? I asked that question many times, and recently, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Ron Borges, who was a great football writer on 
and these guys are really plugged in and he has been in on in for a long time and the answer that i that i've heard over and over again is that the reason that he didn't play was that he got into a fight with steve belichick or one of the i presume it was steve and uh the coach benched him. He got into a fight with a coach, and he defied authority. And that, you know, Malcolm Butler was out. Now, I've also heard other stories that completely. Uh, I, I, you know, I preface that by saying, preface this by saying, you know, this could be totally unreliable. The first one I think is much more plausible. Mm-hmm. I've heard that over and over and over again. A disciplinary decision. Disciplinary decision. It had to do with an altercation with one of the coaches, presumably one of the Belichicks. Okay? Not the head coach, but one of the sons. That was a disciplinary situation. But I'd also heard there was a much deeper one about other relationships. But that that would be irresponsible for me to really go down that road. This seems to be the most plausible. Well, I was going to say is, you know, Belichick's ego that big that he would actually affected outcome of a Super Bowl game. I mean, there's no way that you don't put that guy in. He's definitely your best option as a cornerback. I know he didn't grade out well that year as far as, you know, the, the season end grading out process as a corner. Yeah, but the year before he made the interception at the goal he, line. He, I mean, yeah, I was going to say a couple years. I think it was the, the well, uh, 2014 was Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's a folk hero for picking off, you know, uh, Russell Wilson at the goal line, and he's celebrated all over New England. The um, question is not – believe me, I'm telling you, I've asked that question – a hundred times because it's been asked me a hundred times. And that's the answer that is he that much of a disciplinarian or is he that much focused on? Yeah, I guess as a coach, he's focused on what coaches are focused on and that in his, in his world and his thinking growing up with his father in Annapolis and, you know, Andover prep school and it was all about Wesleyan as a center. <laughs> Wesleyan as a right. You know, and as a lacrosse player, it was all it's all about answering to authority. I'm the boss, and these are the rules. And if you don't follow the ru- rules, you're gonna be disciplined, no matter what the situation. And it's it can be looked at uh as a teaching moment for the other players. Mm-hmm. You're saying, God, if he could bench him, what could they do to me if, you know, I stepped out of line? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, that's coach speak. It is. And it obviously lays down the law. But my goodness, I mean, just the, I know the what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying. But you're saying, when do you break? When do you bend the rules? Mm-hmm. When it suits you? Do you bend the rules when it suits you? Or do you bend the rules or don't bend the rules? Yeah. Because they're rules. So. I, so I it's I think it all plays in what it was. Well, look, I maybe the maybe the the incident was bigger than we we understand. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were witnesses to the incident. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was a big problem. So it, a lot of things could have happened less that didn't necessarily come out. They have a lot of things over Malcolm Butler's head because he has never come out and really talked about this situation he really hasn't he, i mean i remember him standing on the sidelines with tears in his eyes 
because he probably wanted to get in there and, and, and do something, but he knew for whatever reason he was not going to get that opportunity. Um, but he, I don't think you'll ever hear. And maybe he writes a book one day. I was going to say, clean. maybe he does. You know, or, you know who knows. But Has let me come- ask you this. Uh, so that, that's obviously ancient news. I just wanted to get your opinion on that because obviously, like I said, we applaud Bill Belichick as New England fans. Amazing job. But that's the one that we thought really got away. Not the undefeated season. That's the one that we thought offensively we were unstoppable, but we just couldn't make a play one you know stop. What? There was another situation that had to do with Mac Jones and, and Bailey Zappi. In the first season that Mac Jones was here, he took out – the fans were yelling for Zappi, and they were cheering. You know, Jones was the starter, and the fans kept saying, Zappi, Zappi. And he took Zappi out. I'm, took, I'm sorry, Mac Jones out and put Zappi in. And it really undermined Mac Jones at that time. I, I thought that was a, another huge mistake. And I don't know why he never took to Mac Jones – you know, but he just never seemed to. Well, I, I guess I can tell. I guess the same reason. Unless Mac Jones is on the field complaining about his coaches. You know, he's holding mm-hmm. up his hands to Patricia. Well, so why? Did, how can you call that? You know, why did you call that? You didn't think that was going to work. You know, the, the, the gestures that he had on the field. Well, that's not what coaches want to see in their players. That's not what mm-hmm. Belichick wants to see in his players. Right. Right. He wants them to toe the line. So where do you think Belichick will end up? Um, I know we both think that he's going to the NFC, but does he bring the old boys network back? Does he bring back uh, Josh McDaniel, who will never be a head coach in the NFL again? Will he bring back Matt Patricia on the defensive side? Will he bring more uh, assistance from his current staff over there? Where do you think he's going to end up? How can you bring Patricia back after Philadelphia? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't How do you know. screw that up, Bob? How do you screw up the Philadelphia situation? That that's a head scratcher to me. That is too. I mean, I I I agree. I mean, that's as much on Soriano as it is on anybody. So that's just the way they it worked. You know, they tried things and it didn't work. They tried to fix it in the middle of midstream, and it it went south on them. Uh, do you think he ends up in Atlanta? Belichick. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It seems to me lacking any other opportunities. I mean, you think we're, you think Vrabel's going to Seattle, huh? That's the word uh, that he's going to be in Seattle. It's a good fit. I, for some unknown reason, as much as he should, Jerry Jones, I think is reluctant to part ways with Mike McCarthy. He's won, he's won 12 games, three consecutive seasons. I get it, but you've got to make a decision at Dallas. You've got Dak Prescott, who's been there since 2016. He's a stat guy. There's no doubt about it but he's not won one big game for the Cowboys. And it's either going to be the quarterback or the head coach. What are they going to do in Dallas? You think bringing in Belichick's going to affect? Uh, I don't think so. Peterson. I, I, I just think that if you if you brought in Belichick maybe to to Dallas, maybe he stabilizes that team a little bit. You know, I, I don't know how the relation. I guess he's got a great relationship with Jerry Jones. That's what people say that they they can coexist. Unlike Robert Kraft, <laughs> there's another. Uh, right. I I just think. Listen, everyone's got a, an expiration date, Bob, and I think you know Belichick coached for a tremendous amount of time in New England, and I think eventually, listen, everyone talks about the Patriot way. It's easy to buy into the Patriot way when your team is winning and you're successful. 
But when things aren't going right, people don't want to buy into a program that's losing. I mean, well, for you know, right? Am I right? Everybody's got a way. Les has a way. Warner Wolf had a way. Every, you know, the Patriot way. Bob Lovell had a way. The Milky Way. You know, that's <laughs> everything. When it, when it's working, it's the way. Yeah. You know, I I'm not sure what the Patriot way was. It was like, you know, maybe 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 they can claim when their first Super Bowl. Well, no, in, in 2001, the first one they won, when they were introduced as a team, that they remember they they wanted to be introduced not as individuals. Exactly. In the yes, they wanted to be introduced as a team. Yes, and that to me is a signature of the Patriots' way. Okay, I can buy that. Mm -hmm. It was you know more of a strategy and made a lot of sense. But I don't know what else the Patriot way is. You know, put Tom Brady out there. That's the Patriots' way. <laughs> couldn't do any worse that was out there this year that's for sure <laughs> well you had to have somebody to throw to too that's good i mean look at, i mean look at you know why can't we get players like that i can jacoby myers i can just go right down you know a bunch of a I bunch know. of outstanding wide receivers that used to be here that aren't here i agree with you, you. Know? i agree with you i mean i i just think you're right it doesn't matter who they put Back there, you know, uh, getting that snap from center that they just didn't have the playmakers. They didn't have guys that ran the right routes. They got they didn't get separation. But and when they caught the ball, line. they dropped it. You know, I just I always was shocked. I mean, it seems like their offensive line when Dante Scarnecchia, the offensive line coach, I agree. left. I agree. He took all the ability with him. I on an you know line. I, I've got to say you know something during this whole run, Bob. He might be the most underrated part of that team. You are 150% right. Dante Scarnectia, Scarnectia did an amazing job with players like Dave and Andrews, who was an undrafted free agent. He took guys that weren't massively high draft picks and turned them yeah. into tremendous football players. Yeah. I, we had him on our podcast. He was great. And it was just really, really good. You know, and he was really a, a good human being that had no illusions about being a head coach. He just loved being an offensive line coach. Well, before we flip the switch on the Patriots, I just want a, a quick, does Gerard Mayo make it New England? Is he successful ultimately? Or is he one of those guys that in three years we're looking for a new coach? Well, you know what? Tough to answer. I, I think he's got a chance. No, I, I, of course it's tough to answer. Yeah. I can't. I think based upon, you know, his history here, I think he's got a chance. I think he's open to learning. Mm-hmm. I think he's got to have some help. He's got to get a general manager that's going to find players. And the problem is the owner-centric franchise. I mean, once again, that is a way of creeping in. If you're the most owner-centric franchise in all of America, it's going to creep in again and again. And it's going to become a problem. So it just let's see what happens. But he's got a, he's got a good chance of making it, I think. Well, I wish him the best of luck. But whatever I, that means, whatever making it means anymore. I don't in know. This league. I, the play, well, the playoffs, I guess. We just you, you got to get to the playoffs to have a chance and sniff at the championship. And uh, they have the third pick in the draft. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. I think it's all going to be predicated by what the Chicago Bears do with the number one pick. Do they keep Justin Fields? Do they draft Caleb Williams? Uh, and, and I think it's going to be a domino effect with at least the first ten to fifteen picks based on what the Bears do. Here's now, the thing: when you say pressure. Predicated. The league, this is the same league that makes you pay for Peacock to watch a playoff game 
of little significance. You're going my way right now. Cold, cold war. Peacock makes you make you buy a game if you want to see it. And now they're going to, you know, and they're going to add playoffs, more playoff mm-hmm. spots eventually, mm-hmm. you know. So before that, there'll be four teams that don't make the playoffs. Well, Bob, eventually, let, let's face it. I think they're they're really testing the waters here. And I think within 10 years, if you want to pony up and watch a Super Bowl, you're going to be paying $79.99, $59.99 to watch the Super Bowl. And it's great for Would people. Would you watch Hagler Hearns fight? I, I, exactly. It's going to pay, it'd be a pay-per-view. Um, I, well, I would see a Hagler Hearns fight all day long, any day. But, uh, you know, not every Super Bowl is a Hagler Hearns fight, right? But I, I just think that this is where the NFL is going. I, I think that they're greedy. They want as much money as they can, and and they're going to get it any way they can. And and great, people can have parties, Super Bowl parties, and they're everyone can charge five bucks and go. Uh, memo to these owners don't care about the game as much as the owners. And I was talking to Upton Bell, and I, we talked this. Uh, Upton Bell after our show, I talked to him last week, mm-hmm. uh, and we, he said when he you know he was spotted was first commissioner of the football of the NFL. Bert Bell. Bert Bell. He said, even Billy Sullivan, who fired Upton, hired Upton and fired Upton, uh, he said, even Billy Sullivan cared about the game. He said, you know, they had Dan Rooney, they had all these Wellington Mara. They cared about the game. The owners today don't care about the game. They play 17 games. They put these guys in harm's way all the time. I mean, guys are going down left and right. I mean, you know, there is a certain disregard. They can say all they want about safety, but between your theory on betting and fantasy football and Peacock, they don't really care about the game. They care about making as much money as they possibly can in a shorter period of time. And Bob, it's only a matter of time before the schedules increase to 18 games. There's no doubt in my mind it's going to 18. And let's talk about Peacock because we talked about it in our meeting before the show. The ratings were that they did $23 million, but you're saying that it was skewed a little bit, and maybe you can explain a little bit to that. I think in if it was only Peacock that is being rated for that game, you never would have heard the final numbers. Mm-hmm. But it was not only Peacock that was in those final numbers. It was the households in Kansas City, and Miami. And Miami. Miami, of course, those that couldn't get to the game, but everybody's tuned in. Kansas City, it's, you know, 50 below zero. And, and while they still had a full house, everybody still was tuned into the game. So they got it over the air because they were in their home cities and they weren't held up by Peacock the way you and I were. Right. Well, I and didn't so, watch the game, so... Okay, well, I paid. I was, just, you know, I paid. I, my problem was getting it. My problem was working with my computer to get the friggin' thing. Yeah, I hear you. But that's, I'm just saying, that's, that was the, the rating. Yeah, the numbers were fantastic, but they were inclusive of the overall. They weren't just Peacock by any stretch of the imagination. No, I know. We could go on. And, you know, I, I think we'll talk about it because we'll have a Bob Lobel part three, you know, eventually. I live that long. <laughs> well, we'll have you back before, long before then. But what I want to do, I know we have some questions so Bob, sure. uh, from yeah. some of our viewers out there. So I'd like to take a commercial break right now. We're going to come back 
have some questions from our viewers. I know we want to touch on the Celtics. I want to touch a little bit on the Bruins. We didn't get to do that last week. So let's do that after a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back with Bob Lobel after this. Welcome back to Swartz Talk and Sports. I'm your host, Les Swartz, joined this evening by Bob Lobel, part two, unfinished business, and we are on a roll, and we're bringing in everyone's favorite, Benny the Book, the King of Carolina. So, Benny, thanks for popping in. Hey, Bob. Hey, Les. How you doing tonight? Good to see you, Benny. We're uh, we're on a roll. We're we're rolling here, man. We're ripping up. We're ripping up the NFL at this point, but we have a lot of questions from our viewers right now. Bob, you are the lightning rod for questions. This is fantastic. So, uh, our chat girl, Joni, is on the mend. She's doing great. We hope to have her back in Good. a couple of weeks. So, uh, shout out. We love you, Joni. And we're going to have Tony, our producer, start rolling with some of these questions. So, Bob, let's get ready. Benny, let's get ready. And let's roll the questions. Okay. Thanks, Les. I think this one goes out to Bob. Barry asks, which sport do you like covering the most? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. And, we, and boy, they, it has changed. Uh I used to love going to the garden, uh, the old garden, mm-hmm. and uh, watching Larry Bird make a pass at any game. I would go to I'd go to see those teams of the uh, '90s, Bird and McHale and Parrish. So they those were, you know, it was a different game back there. It was you know, let's not get into that. We all know what it, things have changed. Absolutely, uh, that was that was special. Um, we saw a number of Stanley Cup playoff games in, in here in Boston. We were fortunate enough to do that. Um, but there was a time when going to baseball was fun. There was a time when, you know, the Red Sox hadn't won anything, and all of a sudden they got they got smart and decided that maybe they ought to try to win something, break a curse or whatever they did. And I think, you know, I'm just I'm not I'm not hedging my bets here, but I. I always like playoff stuff, playoff mm-hmm. baseball, playoff, you know, special, special games. One of the all-star game in Boston was really That amazing. was in 99, right, with Ted Williams? 99, Pedro Martinez and yep. Mark McGuire. And, uh, you know, they had different baseballs for the uh, home run derby. Oh, like, yeah. They had the, home run, the, the home run derby had, like, McGuire's baseballs had MM written on them. Because one of our <laughs> – one of our – Reporters, Alice Cook, she stood on the on the parking garage across from Fenway Park, across over the Green Monster, and she got a hold of one of the Mark McGuire balls. It had an MM on it, and we had another ball from a from a regular batting practice ball. We brought him in the studio. We brought a guy over from MIT in one of our late shows and dropped him to see which ball had the most bounce and everything else. And, McGuire's star ball went about six inches higher. Well, un- unfortunately, Sammy Sosa took his took his cork bat from that and actually used it in a real game and got busted for it. So, know, sorry, Sammy. Too bad, sure. right? But uh, excellent question, Barry. Let's go to. Uh, I know we we got it lined up. So, Tony, let's just roll them. You got it. So, Michael asks, Jones was at today's press conference. What do you make of that? Smart on his behalf or not a wise move? Ooh, I think it was question. a great move. I, I, it was a great question. I don't know how it could be a bad move. I mean, I, he showed up. He showed support. He doesn't know what's going to happen. I think he probably realizes he's not going to be there next year, but he, I think this shows that he kind of wants to be. And whether mm-hmm. that makes an impact on Mayo 
or the rest of the team, I don't know, but Kraft likes him. Belichick didn't apparently. So who knows? Maybe you'll get another shot. But a good question. Good really. question, Mike. Good question. All right, let's go. Number three. Okay. Barry asks, Bob, do you feel it was an honor to replace John Most in 77 playoffs? Ooh. Worse. One of the great thrills I've had was filling in for Johnny Most. I worked with him for two years, the home games. But unfortunately, the two years were the Sidney Wicks, Curtis Rowe years. <laughs> That's <laughs> nothing dark to do about ages. That. No kidding, boy. I mean, it wasn't all wine and roses when it came to the Celtics either. Right. But it was really awesome to have it to, well, to sit next to him. Yeah. And you get into, I can remember that. I'll just tell you one Johnny Mo story. And he's, for people that don't know, he was a legend. He was a homer. He was Red Arback's personal choice to be the radio announcer because all he did was sell the Celtics. Okay. Ah, that dirty, nasty, lamb beer, filthy. <laughs> they, the way they do things here in Detroit, oh, it's yeah. unbelievable. Oh, we yeah. did one game. I said, I forget this one game we did at the Boston Garden. In the old Boston Garden, we had great seats, first overhang. And uh, Johnny had no idea who the Celtics were playing that night. We got in, we sat down. He said, oh, here we are tonight getting ready for basketball battle as the Celtics get ready to take on. And he stopped and looked <laughs> over to see the team that the Celtics were playing. <laughs> and that's what, that was Johnny Most. No preparation whatsoever, but adorable and loved by everybody. Uh, unmistakable delivery as well. I mean, oh my God, you know, smoking. How many cigarettes did he smoke during a broadcast, I, Bob? Plenty. <laughs> he lost his teeth. I didn't, I wasn't there. But the guy that, uh, the color analyst that was there, was it Glenn Ordway who did it? Ordway did it for a long time right. after, yeah, he did. Ordway definitely did it for a long time. But this was Al Grenner, and most lost his teeth, and they just kind of flew out, and the guy grabbed him in midair. I'm just, Johnny Most was unbelievable. But okay, that's it. He is. He's a true He's a true treasure of Boston fans. No he doubt is. I was, what an honor it was to work with him for yeah, two years. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. And I, and I know you probably have more Johnny Most stories. We can always, we can always go back on Bob yeah. Lavelle Part 3. But let's have another question. I'm sure we have more, right, Tony? Yes, we do. I think you guys might have touched on this one, but John Irwin asks, Bob, did you watch the Mayo's press conference? Did you think they were making Belichick too big a scapegoat? Yes, I did watch the press conference. Um, I wasn't there in person, but it was on a local channel. Uh, no, I I think Belichick's, it's over and done. Uh, scapegoat or no scapegoat, his his history has been written here and whoever, whatever opinion you have, everybody keeps saying he's the greatest coach that ever coached. I hate those comparisons because mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's necessarily true, but he was a really good coach, mm -hmm. a really good coach. How much better than Ali Sherman was he? I don't know, but he was a really good coach. And, uh, and he may have been the greatest coach, but how do you quantify that? I mean, it's easy to say, you know, he was the greatest this and greatest that, but that's such a, it's such a fuzzy area, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't think he took any real big hits today. I think Mayo just said, I, Bill wasn't, uh, I'm not, I'm not Bill and he's not. And that's the way it goes. We'll see how 
We'll see what happens. If, uh, the history of Belichick is not done yet. The final chapter hasn't been written. And we talked, we touched upon that last week with the whole goat. We did. And, and I and I, I listened to your podcast the next day with Mike Lynch, and you guys did talk about, you know, the goat and how you don't like that. And I don't either, because it's incredibly difficult to measure players from different eras based on uh, the game has changed and the rules have changed. But if you and, say less, if you said who's better, Larry Bird or Dr. J, I mean, but if you picked uh, one, it's like you're saying. The other one isn't as good, right? Which is just wrong. I agree. I mean, right? Yes. I mean, who's better, Larry Bird or Julius Erving? Larry Bird or Michael Jordan? If you picked one, that doesn't mean the other one's second best. I just right. you always have that stupid comparison. But well, that's it's your own personal preference, Bob. It's based on your eye test of who do you think was a better player. Now. That's the whole thing about the Tom Brady thing. I just prefer Joe Montana. It doesn't mean Tom Brady's a bad player. It doesn't mean I don't love Tom Brady. But it just I always wondered me. what made him good. I always I've always asked people, what do you tell me what makes Brady what made him so good? Was it his ability to think on the field, tempo? He was able to control the tempo probably better than most other quarterbacks. And he was able to right. He he could see things. Apparently, he had to. But, but Bob, I'll say the one thing that really I think really is underrated in Brady is people will look at it and say, "Well, he wasn't an athlete. Uh, this is a guy who was drafted as a catcher by the Expos out of high school. Okay, out of St. Juniper High School in San Francisco. The guy was an athlete. He might not have been athletic in the terms of running the fastest or jumping the highest, but that doesn't mean he wasn't an athlete." He was a tremendous athlete in high school and a tremendous athlete and quarterback at Michigan. The guy won the Orange Bowl and won 10 games at Michigan. It wasn't like he was playing at Central Michigan, not to denigrate any Chippewa fans out there, but, you know, it, on a 1-10 in 10 team, it was a six-round draft pick and it was a revelation. The guy was a tremendous football player in college. Isn't it amazing that uh, the People derive their memory of Brady from that picture of the, on the combine when he's like skinny little guy mm -hmm. that couldn't run, you know, that you and I could run faster than. And uh, I look more and, athletic than him today than he did in that picture. Right, no, I'm just saying that's what people really base their opinions on. And everything you say was true. But it's, it's a flaw in the system that he went in the sixth round. I mean, how could if, if he was that good, how could possibly so many teams miss him? You know, and I want to, you know, something, and I'm just, I'm almost, God, I really want to get into this. And we have a few more questions, right, Tony? We sure no, do. I'm we, sorry, Les. We should, no, 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 Bob, I want to get into this too, because I really want to talk about the whole pro day and the whole combine and how players are overrated based on, because they put up certain measurables. And how does Puka Nakua go in the fifth round this year and sets every rookie receiving record in the NFL? And he's a fifth-round guy. Who, who's, you know, and Belichick, I, here, Belichick didn't go to the combine. This is, he used to go all the time. So people would say, maybe Kraft, one of them, what's wrong with my guy? Why, if he's running the show, why didn't he go to the combine? Anyway, that's beside the point. I should shut up, Bob. No, no, no. Well, let's, let's keep rolling the questions because, Bob, you are, like I said, you are the question, Matt. We've got a lot more. Let's go. Okay, so John asks, why do the crafts get a pass when it comes to the blame pie? Because they're running everything. There uh, is a shot of, there's a column today in the Boston Globe. 
You can get it online. You can go online and look in Dan Shaughnessy column today in the Boston Globe. And the the crafts do not get a pass in the blame pie today. Interesting. I'd almost like, I had a text to Shaughnessy. I'd almost like to read it. I don't want to take up time doing this. No, no, no. I, I no, would no, go ahead and do just, it, but I have to pay like $5 for the article, so I probably won't do it. No, that's it's like Peacock. Exactly. So you either pay for it online or you buy it over the counter for three. So, it, you know, <laughs> what difference? They got you coming and going. They do. And this guy's the one that owns the Red Sox. So tell me why they don't spend any money for that. I know. Okay. I know. All right. All right. It's just, you got to, the Shaughnessy column today really takes on the craft organization and all that stuff. And yeah, so everyone out there, check out Dan Shaughnessy's column in the Globe. And if you're willing, that's all to, pay, I can say. If you're willing he, to pay five ninety five, you can you can get it online. Not it, I'm, you know, I don't get any takes out of this. They did not get a pass, in other words, from that today. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. So while well, you go, John, no pass uh, on the Kraft family uh, with. The, I mean, the even block asking there. Jonathan, even asking Bob today, where's Jonathan? Why isn't he here? Oh, we have an emergency in our organization. He had to be somewhere. Coward. <laughs> well, there we go. All right, let's go. Let's keep going. All right. So Howard Bloom asks, are the Sox playing coy and getting ready to pounce on Jordan Montgomery or Dylan Cease or Blake Snell? I don't, well, think, the, I don't think the Sox are going to get any of these guys. Full throttle Tom Werner. Full throttle Tom Werner who uh, keeps saying that we'll be competitive this year. I don't have see a clue. it. No, I don't see it either. I think, no, I don't think they're being coy. I think they're being cheap. And I mean, I, you know what? They can do what they want. It's their money. They know what they, they have. A, they have a ballpark that everybody wants to come visit. It's a iconic place to visit in Boston. You know, people like to see it, to say they've been there. As long as they're making money. Benny, have you been and, to Fenway at all? No, that's the one place uh, I really would like to go. It's, 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 it is. It, I mean, it's not uh, the most comfortable stadium, Bob will tell you. The sight lines I've been outside the Green Monster. I walked by the Green Monster one time, but that was as close as I got to Fenway Park. Bob, have you sat in the Green Monster <clears throat> seats? Yes. How is it? First, I think it's the best seat in sports. I've never, never been privileged to do it, but... I had the first year that they had them. I bought me and another guy bought four season tickets up in the Green Monster, like twenty five thousand dollars. We split it. Wow! First year, okay. And so we split the games. It was a lot of money, but it was still. And I just I I loved it. I, I it was, you we were right under the sign, one of those big signs that that hangs down, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the only it's, it, the only issue was you couldn't see the left fielder. But you could tell if it hit the wall because you could hear it. So, you know, it was – there's some things you just – in that ballpark, you just have to learn how to ignore, and that's uh, sight lines. I was going to say – anyway, it was special. And you should – boy, if you get a chance to go, do it. Yeah, Benny, maybe one of these days we'll make a trip back up to Boston. We really should. I mean, yeah, come I'll on. Yeah. You know, yeah, we definitely wait long enough, there'll be Bob. plenty of seats available. Well, you know what we'll do? Benny and I, we'll take a trip up. Bob – We'll get together with you. We'll grab dinner. We'll go see a Red Sox game. Yeah, you know, sounds good to me. I, you know, I don't know oh, how many. Oh, oh, and Tony, our producer, wants to go too. 
Uh, I don't right. have any contacts I left, but I might be able to scrounge up four tickets. All right. All right. All right. We're going to hold you to that, Bob. we have any more questions for we Bob? Do. We do. We have a couple. Okay. A couple more questions. Then I want to get into a little bit more Boston sports. So All right. let's roll them. So Michael asks you, Les, would you pay fifty nine ninety nine for a Lightning Bruce Finch fight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an inside joke. I did pick Lightning Bruce Finch to beat Sugar Ray Leonard in 1981. And he looked good for a round, and then he got knocked out in the second round. So uh, the answer would be no. But I would pay to see Marvin Hagler fight him again in 15 rounds with non-thumbless gloves with a 12 by 12 ring and not fool around for the first four rounds because Marvin would have taken him apart and knocked him out by eight. There you go. So, Bob, you know that's true. Marvin gave up a lot to get that big payday with Sugar Ray Leonard. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. I loved him. Loved him too. He was right. fantastic. Okay, what do we got? We got, we got no more? Yeah, we got a couple, like two or three more. Two or three more, okay. <laughs> so Barry asks, Bob, are you still involved with the Children's Hospital and the Guinness Fund? Yeah, the Genesis Fund it was called, right? Genesis. Guinness Fund's a beer thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says Guinness here, so I read what it's it says. It's all right, I know. You know, I'm sure they have a fund too. So <laughs> I think my brother's with the Guinness Fund, but... Uh... yeah. Yeah, no, Bob, you was, should let us know that. We would put this, you know, whatever you're affiliated with, we'd love to obviously promote it on the show and put a link to it. So please let us know, and we'll definitely do it for future shows. All right, I will. <laughs> so, all right, so. No, yeah, I, yeah, I am, actually. We do a couple things a year. The Genesis Fund is a, an organization uh, for uh, handicapped children, That uh, a guy that I worked with at a doctor that I worked with at Channel 4 started, to, so, but it, it involved a lot of TV people. And anyway, it was really it was really well done. Genesis Fund, not the Guinness Fund. Okay, Barry. No, Genesis Fund, they ran the Havlicek Fishing Tournament. We went down on John Martha's Vineyard, Havlicek, and uh, great celebrities. So those were the great times. I mean, those were really fun times when you go out and hang around these guys, and you didn't have to worry about asking them questions or covering them. And, you know, people, even Walter Cronkite was there. People remember Walter Cronkite, but I'm just saying, I'm talking about celebrities that people were, I mean, real celebrities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Nowadays, well, nowadays with the advent of social media, everything is like this reality TV, which I'm proud to say I do not watch at all, but they've made celebrities out of people doing stupid things. And I I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. I get it. I know. It's, the people Bob, do stupid things. Bob, I could not tell you who a Kardashian is if I ran into them in the street. I honestly would not know. Don't care. What do you want me to agree with you? If you walk <laughs> behind, you would know. I can always count on Benny to just throw one in there. Good fastball there, Ben. Let's take one so more question. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, let's we do one talking... more, because I want to get into the Celtics and Bruins okay, real quick, I got too. It. I got it. Yeah, I agree with you. Go ahead. So, go ahead, Tone, one more. Sure. John Irwin asks, Bob, do you listen to sports radio at all? It is my opinion that the afternoon drive-time shows are making Rick Pitino look like a prophet. Fellowship of the Miserable. What are your thoughts? Good question. I do. That's a very good question. I Yeah, I don't, I'm not married to them. I listen to them when I have an opportunity. Uh, I just to keep up, and certainly the last couple of weeks with all the coaching stuff going on, I didn't want to you know miss anything, so I made sure that I was like anybody else around. But uh, that's 
Yeah, I, I did. The, the Patino thing, Fellowship of the Miserable. Yeah, the fans, fans just sound younger, but they're still fans. You know, they still are the Fellowship of the Miserable. You know, Larry Bird's not walking through that door. Yeah. So it's just... But Bob, when anyway. you were doing the news, okay, in 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 Mike Lynch and, and whoever in Boston at the time, you John guys were, you guys were reporting on stories. You were reporting on sports. You were you were talking about the games. You went to the games. Now it seems like sports radio is let's just stir up the pot. Let's just come up with things to get people no pissed question. off. Let let's let, let's throw things out there and let's 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 get everyone angry and, and let's you know it's not the reporting has been watered down, I think, from that standpoint. It's not you're covering the game. All you're trying to do is get ratings and do stupid things and come up with crazy gimmicks to get people to listen to this. I mean, that's yeah. my take on it. You know what? Tino's right. It is a fellowship of the miserable. It is anger-driven. You know, but let's face it. Has this season, has this been a, this has been the best thing that could happen to sports talk radio, a, a four-win Patriot season. And I mean, you can only imagine what this the last couple of years have been like for sports talk radio. Like last year with the Bruins got stonewalled and the President's Cup, the Celtics got knocked out in the finals. You can only imagine what, or the Red Sox, you know, with the uh, throttle, full throttle Tom Werner going on. I mean, it's it's a minefield for sports talk radio. Well, let's talk about you, you, you buying just, into it. Well, you just you just kind of gave us a little segue into you know the Celtics and the Bruins. I two, tried to do that. Two, very very good. And by the way, David Pasternak right behind us with the New Jersey, which I really really like. By the way, good. I like um, him too. So I'm, I'm going to talk about two players right now. One playing with the Bruins, Pasternak, and one with the Celtics and Jason Tatum. The Celtics 31 and nine right now have the best record. In the Eastern Conference, by I think a game right now over Milwaukee, uh, they've been playing great. Missoula's done a great job with that team. Your impressions of Jason Tatum? I love him. He's a great player. I mean, I think of all the he does some really remarkable things. Um, it's hard to put him in context with. You know, you always go back to the bird stuff. You know, I can't help myself, but you always put him in context with. You got to compare him to somebody, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I could, okay, compared to Jalen Brown, they could live without Jalen Brown, in my opinion, but they couldn't live without Jason Tatum. And I think he's, you know, he he might be taking a little. They do a lot of this, take off, taking time off because the season's so long, and that just kind of grabs you the wrong way sometimes. But the season is too long, mm -hmm. and it's you know four games and five nights is ridiculous. Well, that's where that whole load management comes into play, and I know, you know Adam Silver, get a hold of yourself. I mean, you're seriously, uh, but I, I, they're they're the team to beat, and it, they just really can't falter the way they did last year against the Warriors. Well, I will tell you, Porzingis is is going to be a key because I he's the one he's the one mismatch inside. I know Embiid is a beast. Uh, had a great game last night against the Nuggets and outplayed Jokic last night, which is difficult to do. But it's seven foot three. He's a rim protector. He can step out, hit the three. He's a good passing big man. And if he stays healthy, now you get Horford coming off the bench, 15, maybe 16 minutes a game, gives you quality minutes. Uh, their, you bench, their bench Stevens, is averaging 45 points a game right now. Brad Stevens has done an amazing job. I think so, too. Team together. Yes, he did. I think so, too. White, I mean, Mark White. What? Uh, uh, What's his name? 
Derek White. Oh, yeah. Derek White they got last year. Yeah, yeah from White. San Antonio. Yeah. He's, he's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, when you got him last year, they said, oh, this guy's going to be a decent, you know, half decent defender. You know, they don't miss Marcus Smart at all. No, and Drew no. Holiday they pick up this year. Drew Holiday. I love, you know, I love that pick. Tremendous pickup. Yeah, so Stevens has done an unbelievable job. Yeah, and I think he's underrated. I think Missoula's done great, but people are forgetting Brad Stevens is pulling the strings behind the scenes here. Uh, All five starters in double digits right now. They're bench averaging close to 45 a night. But you want it. Scares the hell out of me because, you know what? When you're in Boston, it's all set up to fail. (laughs) You just have that thing. Benny, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. You Mm -hmm. learn to live with the success because you can't revel in it because it can be pulled out from underneath you in a second. You right. snatched defeat in the jaws of victory. You know what? Nope. No town is more susceptible. What about the Bruins now, uh, Bob? And I know, Benny, I know you're a big NHL guy. Uh, you fought, Obviously, you're a Ranger guy, a Rangers tremendous team this year. Bruins off to another great start, Bob, but, you know, forget about the President's Cup. Now, Hard to do, man. They're just defending it the best they can. <laughs> Your take on the collapse last year. I mean, you know, most Coaching, not only the President's think, Cup, Bob, but most points in the history of the NHL, most wins, gold differential. The total shock. I mean, talk about expectations going in. I think that was... But I, something happened uh, with the coach and then his communication with his goaltenders and what so something happened mm-hmm. that, that I'm not sure I'm not sure what but it just something happened now my question uh, to you and we talked about this earlier as well uh, with the Bruins is right now I did hear Jim Montgomery the coach of the Bruins saying that he made a mistake last year in the playoffs he should have done the alternate goaltending route when it came to in the playoffs I, know, I heard that now, too don't agree with it Nope. You've got two right now. You've got you've got Swayman just made the All Star team. He's younger. I think he's got more upside than Allmark. Allmark's a little bit older. Uh, do you make a move come March with about twenty twenty five games left in the season to bolster your secondary scoring? And do you jettison one of these goalies for a potential thirty goal scorer on a team that maybe doesn't make the playoffs? What is your take well, if you're Jim Montgomery? First of all, I'm not smart enough to make that move. But honestly, okay, if you were. Said- I would not. I would not make that move. I wouldn't. Wow. I would not because I think goaltending is too valuable. Okay. Commodity right. in this league, especially down the playoffs. I know you go with a hot goalie, but I, you know what? They work well together. They just, they're you know they're pretty much in sync. Uh, they're an integral part of of why they're winning, and I wouldn't change a thing back there. I mean. I, Playoff hockey is very unique. Uh, any team that makes the playoffs gets that hot goaltender. They can, they can make a run. It's, 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 it's in, it's in the history. I mean, it's just. How about Tim know, they, Thomas? Yeah. Tim Thomas is a great example. He won it for him. Best. I've never seen an athlete play better in three weeks, in a three week stretch than Tim Thomas. Mm-hmm. Played in that 2011, I think it was. It was Bob. I went back and watched last week all four games that he won. I w- actually watched them in its entirety after Horton got. What is wrong out. with him, Benny? What is wrong with him? <laughs> I, I have to say, you were right. He stood. You know, they say a goalie standing on his head. On his in most head. of these games, the Bruins were opportunistic, but they were outshot. 
you know, in large portions of these games. And Tim Thomas basically willed the Bruins to victory. He he, he won the Conn Smythe. He was the best player on the ice. Yes, I totally. I've just never seen a three-week period where there was one guy stood out as much as, as he did. The only one I would say that that equals that, and it's a killer for me, but it's when the Bruins lost in 74 to the Flyers and Bernie Perrant stonewalled the Bruins. They could not get the puck by this guy. Unless I, Benny's ex- here's a perfect example. Your hot goaltender can, carry can ruin you. Yeah. Benny, are the, are the Rangers going to make a run? Are the Rangers a serious cup contender this year? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're serious. Uh, they're having a little, uh, their goaltending is slumping a little bit. You know, that they, they, they expected, uh, a lot from these guys and, uh, they're not getting it right now, but, uh, they got a good young squad. They'll, they'll be there. You know, get one of them gets hot, you know, it'll, they, they'll do it. Uh, there's a, there's a, the West has a lot of good teams. Well, I was going to say, you I know, looked at the stats. Uh, the Winnipeg, West has a lot Winnipeg of good teams. having a tremendous year. Uh, Vancouver's yep. having a tremendous year. There's so many great young players. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's not like you're easy, you keep track of these college kids coming out, but there's just so many great players. Yeah. Uh, uh, most of them are named Connor. For some I saw, uh, yeah, I saw. Uh, That's true. Uh, Mark Flory was on. Was on. Uh, one of the shows today and he said you know the guy asked him about it, he goes yeah you know the guys used to have wood sticks and he goes now he goes these young guys everybody's fast everybody's agile he goes it, it it's a it's different he says he goes that he goes all four lines they go they all have scorers on them you know before it was the the last two lines probably the guys that beat up everybody on the other team you know it was you didn't look for them to score they they were there in forces but he goes, now everybody, everybody, every line could score. They all have talented young players. He goes, and everybody's fast. Well, Bob, we remember you know, we remember the, the old Bruins adage. Last year was, till the Bruins was Kachuk. I oh, tremendous so, hockey killed, player. Uh, what a hockey tremendous player. Tremendous hockey player. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, Bob, we remember the old adage, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. I mean, <laughs> right, right. How, how times have changed. You might see a fight every now and then. You'll see body no, It wasn't like Stan Jonathan or, oh. or Winsink oh. or... Yeah. Stan no. Jonathan really... went toe-to-toe with Pierre Bouchard, who, by the way, was about 6'6", Jonathan's about 5'8", and he absolutely pummeled, or even better, John Winsink, we have to get video of this one day, challenged the entire Minnesota, bench. Right? Taking on Minnesota. It, it, nobody I else, they looked down. I'd bring my son in to, to, the lo- to the station every once in a while. He'd come in, and all he wanted to do was, "Can I see the Minnesota tape? Can I see the <laughs> win?" Fantastic. fantastic. The uh, fantastic. real hockey fans years ago, they they went to the games to watch fights. They didn't watch. <laughs> they didn't want to watch the hockey. They didn't want to see the fights. No, it's, it's definitely a different game now. There's no doubt about it. I think the speed of the game, um, the way that rules now with the no center line, it's opened up neutral ice now. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think the college game. I, I know Bob. We're lucky enough. Hockey East in our own backyard. Uh, might be the best college hockey out there. High school hockey in Massachusetts is unbelievable. I mean, just hockey's, to your opinion, Bob, if you're going to pick a sport in Boston, and it has to be one, is Boston truly a hockey town? All all things considered equal, is is Boston a hockey town? I think it's by far the best hockey town in America. Um, and I'm, we're not talking just men and boys. We're talking women and girls. 
because these hockey they have hockey teams they're all over the place mm-hmm. uh and rightfully so it's just everybody's got a rink or everybody has access to a rink and mm-hmm. it's 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 indigenous to the population everybody is generational here you know that's like four or five generations have grown up with the bruins now right so it's like not only grandfather it's grandfather's grandfather that, that kind of thing around here and it all started from number four robert gordon or there's no doubt uh, about it rinks no, popped no, up the minute mr four mr or number four hit the rink well listen bob we've gone a full hour we have kept you wow. overtime we've gone overtime with bob lobel today but I want to thank you again. I know we just reached out yesterday, and thanks so much for pinch hitting for Charles Barkley. Um, you've been outstanding. We definitely wanted to do a second show. There's just so much more to talk about. Maybe I we love go being back. on. Thank you very much. No, no maybe I, I, we I, do I, part three, Bob. And and again, um, you can you can hear and see Bob weekly on Unanchored Podcast, Boston Sports with Mike Lynch, and I I check it out now. It's on my daily list. So Bob, oh, I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Yeah, but you guys do a fantastic job. You set the standard. I I told the guy that produced our show he's got to watch this because you're too I, kind. You know, love it. No, I know. I really I'm thrilled. I'm sorry Charles couldn't make it tonight, but well, listen, listen, listen I, I I've got Tony, I've got Tony lugging lugging the the show here, and I've got Benny keeping me honest. So uh, with these two guys, uh, we're doing okay. But listen, Bob. I thank you again very, very much. We appreciate it. Check out Bob's podcast on Anchored. We're tickets on the Green Monster, okay? Sounds good, Bob. Bob, we're doing it this summer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and Tony's in too. We're doing it. Welcome back to Swartz Talking Sports, and I'm Les Swartz. Again, thanks so much for Bob Lobel coming on uh, Unanchored Sports podcast with Mike Lynch that can be heard weekly again it's very very good if you're in the Boston New England area please check it out I think you'll love it Benny the book four and two last week let's see if Benny goes four and oh and increases his winning percentage this season he's done well 40 and 37 and again thanks to everybody for checking out uh, the show Uh, I know we went a little long tonight but we could talk to Bob for hours so really really enjoy sitting down and having the conversation with Bob Lobel thanks for the questions out there from our viewers again if you haven't subscribed please do hit that subscribe button comment on the show we can be heard on podcasts Google Podcasts and uh, I forget what the other uh, podcast streaming is Spotify I I don't really listen to it I watch it a little bit but uh, you can be heard on Spotify and Google Podcasts, so check that out as well. Right now, a very special quick video we want to run. Um, very special friend of the show, Vince Coleman, and a guest of the show, and we'll bring Vince on again at, uh, in the future. His daughter, Capilani Coleman, at University of Washington, freshman on the track team. She ran her first three indoor events last week, and we're going to show a video of her 400-meter dash where she absolutely uh, looks outstanding. So if Tony can cue that up, Let's check out uh, Capilani Coleman in the 400-meter dash indoor meet last week at the University of Washington. Pacific in five. Off and rolling in this women's 400-meter green. The GNAC outdoor performer, sixth excuse me, seventh in the 400 and eighth in the 200. Was sixth in the GNAC Indoor Championship last year in the 200. As we now see Coleman through the 200 with the lead with her teammate McCumber Gandara 
right behind her in second. Capilani Coleman and her teammate McCumber Gandara in second, but now we see Green and Chazar trying to pass her on the outside in lane two and three, but it'll be Coleman gets the win in 57-72. Chazar 60.56 for second, Green 60. Outstanding job, and uh, I know Vince is a proud papa because uh, she won that thing by 10 to 15 yards, so outstanding job. We'll be following Capiolani this year at the University of Washington track team, so again, outstanding job, and best of luck the remainder of the season. Tony, thanks for queuing that up. That's our first video, and I think that uh, we should do more of that. That, was, that went off without a hitch, so again, I know it was a long show. We thank everyone for staying with us. Again, thank you, Bob Lobel. Thank you, Benny the Book. Thank you, everyone out there. We'll be back next Wednesday, the 24th, with our special guest, Brian Holloway, former New England Patriot and Los Angeles Raider, first-round draft pick of the Pats. And uh, Brian's still very heavily connected to the NFL, and we're going to ask him about all things NFL and get his Super Bowl pick next week. So again, Brian Holloway, next Wednesday, 7 p.m. I'm Les Swartz. Thank you so much. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.